Please stand if you are able as we read Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the faithful. Let Israel be glad in its maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with victory. Let the faithful exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their couches. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters and their nobles with chains of iron, to execute them, to execute on them the judgment decreed. This is the glory for all his faithful ones. Praise the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. You've heard it said, you've got to walk the walk. You can't just talk the talk. Or have you? Have you heard that said? More than once. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Think about how you were brought up, the values of the culture that surrounds you or surrounded you as you were being raised. Think about what it meant to be a strong person, a good person, a helpful person? Is it better to walk the walk or talk the talk? I'm going to look for a show of hands here. I'm going to ask, is it better to talk the talk? Well, is it better to walk the walk? Yeah, a lot of us were raised with that teaching, right? But sometimes it's not an either-or kind of situation. In fact, words can be very powerful. I'm sure you've experienced this in your own life. Words can be very powerful. And it's right there in the scripture. It's supposed to be that way. Because what did God do to create the world? God spoke. God spoke all that is into being. And in the, ver- in the version of the creation story that appears at the beginning of the Gospel of John, what is the love of God incarnate known as? The Word. The Word. Words are extremely powerful. For example, you know this if you've ever gone on living without 
someone who has wronged you saying, I'm sorry. Words are powerful. Or if you've been waiting for a relationship to renew, to get a phone call from someone you love, to have someone reach out. Some of us were raised in different generations, different cultures. Some of us were raised in families where it was not common to say the words, I love you. But those are powerful words to hear, right? They're transforming words to hear. Words like, I'm sorry, and I love you. These show how powerful it is sometimes to talk the talk. In fact, in the book that was written by Desmond Tutu and his daughter, The Way of Forgiveness, they actually describe in times when uh, our cultures and our relationships have been really deeply severed by wrongdoing, forgiveness is only possible if it starts with telling what happened, talking about what happened. It has to start with talk, with naming. Words are powerful. There's also this study that was done um, some years ago that people who have roles in communities like mine read. It was published by Kenda Creasy-Dean, who is an authority in the area of ministry with youth. And they did this big study to understand what young people's faith is like, where it comes from, what it sounds like what its characteristics are. And one of the surprising things that they learned in this study was contrary to most people's belief, teenagers, youth, were actually an excellent representation of the faith of their parents. The reason it didn't always seem that way is because they were representations of the talk that had been talked and the walk that had been walked. Not necessarily the motivations or the history or the deep culture that had influenced those decisions. They, the teenagers, the young people, they, didn't, they couldn't work with anything they hadn't been told. They couldn't model anything that they hadn't seen. That's why sometimes it looked like their faith didn't match. Words are powerful. Context is powerful. And the words that we hear from God are important. And so are the words, the questions, the expressions that we choose to say. One of the things that happens when we compose a psalm, when we pray out loud before God, it's not that praying out loud is in any way more legitimate than praying in the quiet of our hearts. But one of the things that happens when we pray out loud or we pray together in community is that like God at the beginning of creation, we speak something into being. By giving it a name, by describing it, we make it a force that is at work in our community. It's powerful the names that we give God and the language that we use. 
It's powerful, the words we choose to say. This is what the Psalms is. The book of Psalms, yes, because it has become part of the inspired word of God, that book of scripture, that library of experience that describes the relationship that we have with God. Yes, it is the word of God for the people of God, but it's also, in addition to that, the words of people, the words of the people of God for the people of God across all kinds of change and circumstance. Just like the hymns that are in our hymnals today, they come from a time and a place, and that affects how they work on us. For example, you may have had an experience. I'm going to come down a little bit closer to you. You may have had an experience, especially those of you who sing a lot, but you may have had an experience in a church service or at a funeral service or something like that where you started singing a hymn without context, a hymn you didn't know. You didn't know where it came from. You didn't have any words to describe kind of why that hymn was chosen for the day, but you found yourself singing it, and perhaps in the midst of singing that hymn, you found yourself singing something out loud that sounded really weird. You're like, I have no idea what I am singing right now. For some of us, language about fountains filled with blood, for example, will surprise us if we find ourselves singing that on a Sunday morning. Other songs aren't apparently about faith. It's hard to know because nothing in the lyrics says anything explicit about our relationship with God. But when we understand that they are spirituals, we learn that the words have double meaning, right? I had an experience like this because I grew up singing um, Let Every Voice, um, Lift Every Voice and Sing. You know that song? I grew up singing it, but I grew up, like so many of the young people in that study, I grew up with the action and with the words, but without the background. So I was always wondering why we were singing about stepping on the blood of the martyrs and stuff like that. In the, in the suburban church I grew up in, I didn't understand what we could possibly ta be talking about. Why are we singing words like this in a church like ours? It wasn't until much later that I understood it to be a civil rights anthem and that the power of singing it in a church that was made up of mostly white people was the power of acknowledging the history that's still unfolding in our midst as the people of struggles that some people had been through far more recently than the first century. Far more recently and far closer to us than the first century. So what used to seem strange to me now makes a different kind of sense. The Psalms have context, too. I was thinking of another example of this in our pop popular culture recently. Um, perhaps you've heard Luke Combs' cover of Fast Car. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you do? Can I get a sense of how many of you, and then I'll explain. Okay, not everybody, so I'm going to explain. So there's a song from the 80s. It was written by Tracy Chapman, and Tracy Chapman is a queer black songwriter. She's a woman songwriter. And she wrote this song, Fast Car, which is all about the longing 
to escape a kind of oppression, a kind of being trapped, escape to a feeling of belonging. Now, when I tell you that that's who she is and that she's the person who wrote this song, you can easily imagine how that meaning takes shape when you hear her sing it and how it has become an anthem for a lot of people who long to escape a feeling of oppression to a place where they belong. But just recently, the country artist Luke Combs, a white man, who's a very successful country artist, has covered this song and released it, and it is extremely successful. There's a really lively conversation about this song, but I'm bringing it up to you today because I'm, I want to invite you to imagine how for a generation who doesn't know who Tra Tracy Chapman is, how some part of the meaning of that song has changed. Right? Maybe it's invisible because of the context of who's performing it, who sang it out loud. Context is important. Psalm 149 sounds the way that it does because it comes from a context of turmoil. So the first two-thirds of the song are all about praising God with all these instruments, just as we've been doing in this worship service today, but that last bit is really harsh a two-sided sword, right? Vindictiveness, right? It's hard to hear those things together. But Psalm 149 sounds the way it does because it comes from a context of turmoil and upheaval, proclaiming rest and agency for an oppressed people. It responds to all of the psalms which promise a coming champion with a vision of the people themselves embodying that champion. So much of the book of Psalms says, wait for the Lord. So much of the book of Psalms promise that justice will come, that we will be heard, that God will answer. And Psalm 149 is the second to the last psalm in the book. And in this psalm, justice arrives. A champion arises in the people, the people of God. Now I understand why if you were in a situation of never feeling safe, of looking for a place of longing for a place to belong, of often receiving violence against you and the people you love and not having the power to do anything to change it. How praising God with the sound of the trumpet and the lyre and the cymbal might also look like having a champion arise from among the people to practice justice. The people themselves may embody the Messiah and become doers of justice agents of salvation. This psalm is speaking an empowering word. Is this psalm encouraging people to be violent? It certainly has been used that way in church history to our great sorrow and regret. But was it meant for that? No, I think it was meant to be a powerful word that spoke transformation 
into being. I believe it was meant to be a word that shaped around it a world in which justice was at home. You can find your voice and hear it and use it. And I think that's important. I was briefly included in a training for a program that never came to be. So we're familiar here at this church with the United Methodist Committee on Relief, the money that we have raised to support the folks in Vermont and the folks in Hawaii is going through the United Methodist Committee on Relief. Through this program, volunteers sometimes physically themselves go and help heal communities that have been struck. And I was trained for that program as well, but I was trained for a new part of that program. It was called the D Disaster Emotional and Spiritual Care Team. And the vision for what we would be doing is that we would be constructing together powerful words, words of transformation and healing, so that when a community was devastated and the pastors in that community found themselves among the victims of disaster. When they found themselves speechless, friends from communities all around the world could come and speak and from any word in that place and offer emotional and spiritual care. You can tell I was super excited about it. But here's what happened. We never did it. We shuttered the program right away. And the reason is because just about the time that the first cohort of us had been fully trained to do this work, we received wisdom. And the wisdom that we received is that the power that we would bring in as people outside of that community, as people who had not been witnesses directly to what happened or experienced it in our own home and community, the power of what we had to say would be little compared to the power of even holy silence among the people who held that experience in common. The whole vision that we had, that someone could speak on behalf of someone else, was wrong. It was wrong-headed. We must use the voices we have to speak to the truth that has been given to each of us. That's where we find meaning. And sometimes it's in verbal words, right? And sometimes it's in gestures of a wholly different sort. Sometimes the best we have is the silence, and in the silence, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for human words. You can find your voice and use it, and I encourage you to do so, because the world needs all the good we can do. The world needs all of the healing we can bring. The beginning is simple, and we'll journey through the rest of it together over the next several weeks. Beginning is simple. Take time to notice what is impacting you as you move through this world. Each day, each day try to give yourself permission to explore means of articulating it. Try writing something down or 
Try making a noise or try moving your body. Try coloring. Give yourself permission to express it in some way. Imagine, allow yourself to imagine with your spirit that God has already granted you transformational, healing, reconciling power. God has already granted you transformational, healing, and reconciling power. Walk the walk, yes. Also, use your voice. Amen? Amen.